Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Hi, Uri. Welcome to the Startup Stories podcast. How are you? Hello, Jordan. Thank you for inviting me. All well over here. It's sunny. <laughs> great to hear. Pleasure to have you. If you could give me a brief introduction to who you are, that would be great. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. My name is Oren Namjana. People call me Ori. I'm based in, here in Berlin. From India, I came to Berlin about 12 years ago for work. And uh, it's been, yeah, it's been a uh, Interesting journey so far. Uh, recently, I had a couple of kids, uh, two daughters, as well as uh, another child that basically yes, last year joined a couple of friends in a startup uh, called 60 FPS GmbH based here in uh, near from Berlin in Brandenburg. And um, yeah, exciting times. We are yeah, startup life. <laughs> what can I say? Sounds like you've got a lot going on. <laughs> you've got your startup, you've got your kids as well. It's uh, all at once, but why not do it all at once, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, all, the, all the, yeah, while we still have the energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, what I do like to do, Ori, is run it back. So I, I want to really get to know you properly. So if you could take me back to your earliest memory, what would that be? Good question. So I... I yeah, I would say that um, I grew up in, in, in this uh, in India in, in a you know, place called Darjeeling, and uh, we grew up in the foothills of the Himalayas. And I recall it, it was it was very green. It was uh, it, it's a very nice place to be. So I can I can completely kind of still close my eyes and relive my childhood over there, uh, among the tea gardens. And uh, if you go up in the hills, it used to be foggy. It was it was a completely different feeling uh, between the foothills and the hills. Yeah, it was something that that reminds me. Even now, when I when I sometimes go to the mountains, even here in Europe, and I smell pine wood, you know, it, it reminds me of those times. Amazing. Yeah, it's nice to have those little reminders, stuff like that. So, are you an avid sort of hiker now? I haven't had the chance, but uh, as a kid, we used to go quite often. Uh, almost uh, once, twice a year, we used to do uh, hiking, and uh, as a kid, we used to do a lot of camping. Yeah, I haven't had a chance <laughs> here in Europe. Unfortunately, in <laughs> Berlin, uh, the mountains are not so nearby. <laughs> it's pretty flat. No, other, and, end, uh, other end of Germany. <laughs> yeah. And my wife, she she used to stay in the Netherlands for a long time. And the uh, Netherlands, as you know, is pretty flat. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. Um, after this time we have had kids, we have had the chance to at least go for at least one holiday to to somewhere in, in the mountains and either in Bavaria or in in Tyrol, in Austria. But yeah, with kids, it's, hiking is a bit difficult, but yeah, that's something I, I really like. Mm-hmm. Well, what a great, great place to grow up, the Himalayas. I mean, for people that are from Europe, that's a, a destination to go just to do the hikes and stuff like that. And, you know, costs a lot to go there. Uh, but for you, that's where you grew up. What a beautiful place to, to come from. Do you remember what you were like as a child? Meaning, how would you have described yourself when you was a child? Hmm. I haven't had questions so far. <laughs> well, I think I was I was curious. I was uh, somehow 
uh, my mom would say I was not uh, somebody who would listen to rules or <laughs> would follow rules or or listen to authority. But uh, I guess otherwise, uh, yeah, I was pretty curious. I, I used to like outdoors. I still like outdoors. Some of some things came naturally to me. I, I think one thing that uh, that I'm really bad at is hand-eye coordination. <laughs> because <laughs> with any sport that requires hand-eye coordination, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> Uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, it's um, really like outdoors and a lot. Uh, I think I also got introduced to computers quite early on. And dad, uh, so that was, that was a professor and, and he had this uh, small little keyboard that you could hook up to a cassette player and, and actually load programs, which was, I think it was like maybe six, seven years old. Very, very, <laughs> it was like, what? What, what is this thing? Uh, I think uh, that's where... That's where I got interested in technology uh, early on. Yeah, it was very early. What would you say life was like growing up? I would say quite easy. We grew up in a place uh, where, as I described, we were in the foothills of the uh, in, in, in a university campus. So there was a lot of freedom. Uh, you could just go around. Uh, I mean, nowadays, uh, later on when I get went to the city, you know, the, I, I even do my kids, you know, when my kids go out, I, I tell them, be careful, do this and do that, don't do this, don't do that. But uh, I feel when I was growing up, uh, you know, in the safe environment, there weren't any much restrictions. I could, you know, I could just go out during the day and stay outside the whole time and uh, without uh, my parents being too worried. Mm -hmm. And even as a kid, when we grew up, uh, so... Uh, we grew up with people who were, yeah, uh, you know, in, among academia. So they were like professors and whatnot. And it was a very, uh, and, and uh, the interaction was mostly uh, a lot to do with intellectual, <laughs> where hopefully I got something from that. But uh, even uh, apart from that, I think, uh, there were, you know, we, the, the good part was that we grew up with people, with kids that were of similar age. And we used to have a fairly vast, uh, our group was fairly big I mean, from kids from, were early teens to toddlers and we were somewhere in between so very interesting mix of, of people and uh, I guess we developed some sort of relationship uh, with all of these people which we carry even now I mean um, most of these uh, you know uh, this whole group is spread outside uh, everywhere around the world and we still are connected which is a good thing <laughs> absolutely who would you say had the biggest influence on you growing up I think apart, uh, I mean, parents do, of course, have a strong influence. I, I think we uh, grew up in an environment where uh, um, my the rest of the family was not not in the same place as we grew up, right? So we used to go to our grandparents and, and the rest of the family during during holidays, but on a daily basis, and and uh, yeah, a lot of influence from my mom, uh, a lot of influence from my dad, and uh, I think uh, generally people around, but uh, you know our neighbors and whatnot. But as I said, it was, it was an environment where, you know, every, your neighbor, you know, our neighbor was a famous professor in, in physics, for example, you know, and, and you could, you know, that person would, would, when I was a kid, they, he would talk about supernovas and whatnot, which for me as a kid would not make sense, but it was interesting to hear perspective. So I, I developed a lot of, understood that, uh, it's nice to see perspective because a lot of things, it was not possible to grasp, but you had this thing about people who could see things in different perspectives. So yeah, a lot of people influenced that. And then at school, I would say a lot of teachers did. So I studied in the Salesian school called Don Bosco. They're a Salesian Catholic group where they are pretty famous for establishing educational institutions. And I think I think a lot of influence uh, you know, on that education, how how to conduct oneself comes from from school. When you were growing up, can you think of a time when you thought what job you wanted to do? 
Uh, no. <laughs> I think for the very longest time till I was pretty much uh, an adult, I always wanted to be a pilot. <laughs> but somehow uh, that, um, yeah, that never happened. Uh, I, I'm still <laughs> looking to to, <laughs> to go through the test to to get a pilot license. But something, you know, something always comes up. <laughs> never too late. Never maybe, too late. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should I should be a bit more. Yeah, should prioritize that bit. But yeah, I always wanted to be a pilot, and and um, I ended up being <laughs> doing something else. But hopefully, <laughs> I can I can pursue that in the future as a hobby or something. Yeah, sure. Why not? What was your first ever job? We used to have these different festivals where mom used to put up a stall, so I would be the I would get paid <laughs> for helping her out, which was for us uh, a very good way to earn pocket money. But I think, as, as still in terms of uh, an actual job, uh, like I think it was uh, uh, pretty much after graduation, after graduating from college, uh, I landed up. Uh, my first job was at Nokia back in 2006, which uh, at the time Nokia was uh, one of you know the biggest, probably the biggest one by far in terms of mobile phone manufacturer. It was exciting to also. Uh, uh, yeah, join that company because I feel that I learned a lot from. So Nokia has a has a very typical Finnish culture, which is very egalitarian, and and I learned a lot from from that. So a lot of influence, I would say, comes from from Finland somehow. <laughs> and interestingly, until last day when I when I quit my to join my friends, uh, pretty much I have worked with yeah with Finnish employers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> Can you think of a pivotal moment in your life that has made you the person you are today? I would say that the very first time I, I could interact with the computer, I was like, wow, what, what, you know, what's this? And my interest in software came pretty early on when I was in class, I think I believe in class two or class three, which is uh, what uh, when I was yeah about that six, seven years age. I was very, very curious. I was uh, at the time, it was very difficult to get uh, get hold of a computer. Uh, they used to be very, very expensive, you know, as compared to you know, what people would earn. I mean, um, and um, very early on, uh, I got interested in programming. Not as per se programming, as per se of, of thinking of, about algorithms to to solve things. Because with physical things, it's a bit different. You need practice. You need to understand how things can be done, fit into a particular way, how problems can be solved. But with software, you could solve problems by thinking, which, <laughs> which I think that that was a turning point because I think since then I always thought that I would. I think that changed my attitude towards uh, my introduction towards software. It was not. I felt it was always there. You know, something I'm good at since as a kid. How old was you when you discovered that? Uh, I believe I was like about seven years of age. I think. Oh wow! Okay, so very early on. And do you know what the prices of computers were back then when you were saying it was really expensive? I believe so. The one that that one was a ZX Spectrum, which was like a, like just a keyboard, right? Those were not that expensive. They used to be like eight. I believe they were like eight bit microcontrollers or eight bit chips. But uh, the first proper computer, I would say, is a, was an IBM. Uh, was it an eighty? I think or an I think the eighties were came before the XTs. And this was when I was around eight or nine years of age. We used to have this huge five and a half inch floppy disk that you had to put in. If you did, you know, if you shook it too much, then the data would go away. (laughs) (laughs) So you had to be really careful with it. And uh, yeah, the very first time I started, I think the very first language per se was language called uh, Logo, (laughs) where you had a turtle in the middle of the screen where you had to draw different shapes. And Now that I think of it, it was it was very very simple. But as as a kid, that you could instruct something a machine, 
and it would do something as outcome of the instruction was uh, was very fascinating you know it's very fascinating <laughs> so you told me about your first career being a proper career at nokia you was there for just over six years from what i can see here and then you moved on to source bits walk me through i'm really intrigued about this transition where you've of course been living in in india working in these two companies and now you're making the transition to move to berlin tell me all about that so around that time when i moved to berlin uh, just before that i got to i met my wife back in and back in india and she was uh, moving to Netherlands to pursue her master's. And I figured out, okay, <laughs> it's going to be really difficult <laughs> with a different time zone to pursue uh, a relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I figured out maybe I needed to find a job. <laughs> and um, that's the reason, that's the motivation. <laughs> I had to walk out of India to come to Berlin, of course. Yeah, Germany was is a different country still from Netherlands, but at least it was uh, closer than before. And over the course of, uh, before we got married, you know, all, all, all of those years, there was a lot of traveling between Berlin, Berlin and Netherlands that happened <laughs> during the weekend. So, yeah, I've explored, I think, all possible ways of travel between Berlin and Netherlands during that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> was it the first time you'd been to Europe? The first time I was in Europe, I was probably one year old. Uh, <laughs> and I have no recollection of, of yeah, of course. <laughs> I have no recollection of my time through memory where I, what I can recollect. Yeah, it was the first time in Europe. So is that moment for you, is it quite scary, like to go from where you've been living to Berlin in Europe and committing to a life there, totally different culture and ways of working and, of course, very far from home? What was that like? Actually, it was not... Uh, it was, uh, it was not... Um, okay, maybe... Uh, Kind of going back, so as I said, I was I grew up uh, in this place called Siliguri, which was in the foothills of Darjeeling. And you know, after I completed my secondary education, which is basically around the age of fifteen, sixteen, I moved to Delhi to pursue my higher education. So in India, you have secondary education and high secondary education, and I, I did my higher secondary education from uh, Delhi, and it was the first time that I actually moved out of my home into hostel the school was a boarding school and i was living in the, in the, in the school hostel so that i would say is, was a, was a major thing that i did at that point of time being so young and after that i was in delhi for a couple of years then i did my college education in bangalore so again i moved cities i lived in bangalore for about 19 years and uh, pretty much i was living you know my parents were away and, and was like living pretty much on my own so for me, Berlin was just another city. When you come from India, one has to also think that each of the places that I'm talking about, they have different culture, they have different language, they have a different way of uh, different food. Everything is different. It's like, you know, pretty much if you think in Europe, uh, you're basically moving from one country to the other. It's, it's a very similar thing in, in India because I was moving from the east to the north, the north from the north to the south. So for me, Berlin was just another culture and another language. But yeah, I've done that before. So <laughs> uh, wasn't scary uh, as such. Uh, and yeah, the initial things in Berlin was, of course, I, I, had, I had no idea what to expect in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I landed up thing. The first day I landed was uh, was a Sunday. So I, I landed, I went to my accommodation, and then I thought, okay, now I need to figure out to would like to eat something. So I went out and everything was closed because I did not know that in Germany, uh, everything is closed on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so at the place where I was uh, living, uh, or my temporary accommodation was in a place which was in the center of Berlin, but in a place where there weren't any restaurants about 
100 meters, 150 meters. Berlin now is very different from what it used to be about 12 years ago. It was not very multicultural <laughs> at that point of time. It was starting to become, you know, and uh, later on, uh, visually, uh, I, I can feel that, you know, I've kind of, I've seen Berlin grow up, but I'm very sure people who have lived in Berlin or, you know, have been living in Berlin for 20 years can feel more, but I can already feel it having lived over here for 12 years. And yeah, it was, it was like, okay, uh, <laughs> that's something new. So yeah, there were, there were those moments, but, uh, but I think it's very much how, what you would expect, you know, when you move to a new place and Yeah, totally understandable. And so you spent nearly a decade at QT Group, and all of a sudden, with in July 2022, well, according to LinkedIn, you you started your own business, 60 FPS, with a few friends. Talk to me about where was the moment where you was like, right, I've got this idea, and I want to turn it into a reality. Talk to me about that moment. Yeah. I think um, it probably again. I think we need, it's very, it's very good that you asked this question before because a lot of things that we, I think we what we make decisions in life kind of stems from certain turning points and or, or certain behavior we had in child so at uh, childhood. So one of the things that I said is that for me, having set set of rules or, or somebody to report to or something is always uh, has been <laughs> let's say not something which is comes naturally to me and thankfully at, at qt group i had uh, i was very fortunate to to work fairly independently on my own and do things on my own with all of my managers all the managers that had very 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 supportive and even when i came came to germany i think it's been a roller coaster ride so i joined i came, i joined i rejoined nokia when i came back to germany and and cute was part of nokia back then and uh, it's Within a year, Cube got divested from Nokia to another Finnish company called Digia, which then, uh, after a couple of years, established Cute as a company of its own. And so I have had, had a kind of a roller coaster ride, a lot of learnings over there. And I was very fortunate also to grow as the company grew. So growing from, I was started as a software engineer in the R&D department and ended up being uh, a product director and reporting to the SVP when, just before you know, when I left uh, Cute. And... All of that gave me a lot of confidence, a lot of, uh, learned a lot about the market. I learned a lot about how to position products, how to develop products, how to, how to market products. And at some point of time, I was, I was thinking, you know, what is it that I would like to do for the next 20 years, 25 years until I retire? And where do I see myself? And maybe uh, typical things uh, that you start thinking when you're in mid thirties, <laughs> what do I do next? You know, and, um, uh, while the good part of Acute was that every, you know every two or three years I had a new role which was challenging, so it satisfied my part of, the, of myself which likes to take up challenges. But I could not find the answer to the question: Would I be doing this until I retire? And uh, I've always had the urge to have something of my own, where you know where I'm not bound by things. I can just do things on my own if it's my company. You know, I can grow it at my pace. I can put it more, and then it would be rewarding at some point of time, right? And uh, I was, very, again, very fortunate to, uh, to have met my co-founders. They were very good friends, developed friendship over, over, over the last decade. And the confidence that, you know, we, we are a good team, that we can work together, that we can create something new, which we can call ourselves our own. And something that the time and, and energy we invest in, you know, we can reap the benefit later on. And, and nobody's going to tell us that, that this is not possible or that is not possible because of whatever reasons it's. It's for us to decide whether something we want to do something or not. So that whole thing of, about liberty, about freedom and the ability to take decisions and do things our way started growing more and more. And at one point of time, we thought, okay, yeah, I, I, those guys, they quit the jobs and, and started their, the company. 
before I did, I'd already committed to a, a new project within the cute company. And uh, I felt that, I, you know, I'm a type of guy who, who really wants to finish my commitment. So uh, I stayed back at Qt. Uh, I followed my commitment and grew it into a product, into something that uh, that was some really acceptable by customers. And at some point of time, I thought, okay, now now I need to quit to pursue my other <laughs> plans. And yeah, and, and that was that. So from that perspective, I could really understand that, you know, work with them. I, I had this, uh, I feel I had this connection that I could really use. And, and that's why last year um, decided that I'll, I'll quit and then join these guys. And how was that transition from being in a secure job to taking a leap to running your own business with not knowing 100% if it's going to work. How was that feeling for you? This was scary. <laughs> this was definitely scary. I mean, yeah, it was just, it's not just a part that's about stability. It's also, you know, as I said, I also had uh, in between um, two daughters. So that takes a lot of energy. And the last job that I had at Qt took a lot of my energy. It was, it was, it was really intense because I created a new product, which right from scratch. So having being the process of developing the product to make sure that it is it has a market fit to the process of trying to make it successful in the market grow the adoption took a lot of my energy i was uh, i was so much focused into it and i started to kind of get a bit exhausted because i had almost three toddlers <laughs> plus a wife <laughs> so two daughters my baby project uh, which i was trying to grow it in at cute which was basically my work and then my wife and and so part of time uh, uh, it was getting exhausting uh, and and i felt that i i could not continue going at that pace and that's when again those thoughts came in okay can i continue doing this for, for the next 20, 25 years, because of course, if you are, I don't know if it's me as an, uh, when I, when I'm committed to something in, in terms of work as an employee, I kind of put myself in this precious situation that I need to meet my target over here. And, um, so all of that, you know, was, was coming in and I had to think, okay, what should I do? I mean, quitting was scary because it means that, uh, as you said, it's not a stable thing, right? And I have, I have two small kids and I have family to look after. Plus the fact is, what if this is not successful? I mean, what do I do after two years? So it was it was quite scary. And yeah, somehow I thought, or I said, I believe that, that somehow I made the right decision because joining a startup was more of a long-term, it's like planting a tree. You don't know whether the seed that you're planting in will turn into a big tree, but we have hope. <laughs> and if you take care of it, then it will grow. Uh, <laughs> but being in the corporate life, you know, trying to catch up, I, I felt that those were like, running 100 meter sprint every day but at the end one gets exhausted but there's not yeah of course there is salary there is a lot of things that come first come with with it but but again it's like running 100 meter sprint every day and this is more like a marathon so different scale i think absolutely it's a very good explanation as well so you've been going almost a year now is it a year now when are you celebrating the birthday first of july is when i joined so it's still a month uh, yeah less than a month okay so yeah not too long what would you put your success down to so far? You know, you've made it to a year now, almost. Yeah, I think a lot of my co-founders, I think my, my relationship with them uh, is not just as a co-founder. I mean, I know them personally for, they've been mm -hmm. very good friends. For, and that helped a lot. I mean, quitting cute and everything, you know, all, all the benefits and perks that come with it to something which is completely unknown. Had it not been them, I think things would have been more stressful. <laughs> Since they were there, they, yeah, yeah. 
felt pretty comfortable in, in, in doing things that I could. So I would, I would attribute a lot of uh, success uh, to them. And actually to my wife, I mean, <laughs> she, has been, she has been very, very supportive. It's a very cliche thing to say that, you know, the partner support is important. But anybody uh, who has a family with young kids and, uh, and probably do, does something completely new. And I believe that, uh, that without, part, without the support of partners, it, it would just not be possible to achieve success. I mean, they're kind of, they come with it, you know, you can, with, with friends and everything, you can just say this is something where, where they are living the same thing along with you and the, they're part of the journey. And um, yeah, I got a lot of support from her because she was actually also switching jobs in between. I see she, she had joined back after her parental leave in, uh, and uh, she had switched jobs. So it was also a lot of, uh, a lot of new things for her, uh, new challenges, uh, and uh, we somehow, yeah, we have been going through that uh, journey and uh, together, which was, <laughs> and so far it's going good. So, so uh, yeah, a lot of uh, credit to all of the, all of them. I feel that especially when, when as an entrepreneur, you start or one starts appreciating these personal relationships more because uh, a lot of things, of course, of course, you know your dream, you know what you want to do, you have your things, but the uh, start valuing personal relationships or relationship with people, people more because they kind of act as a support system when it's a full-time job then you know it's more job about you know what your teammates are thinking what your managers think what the group strategy is what the company strategy is but when you're out of it as a startup you think a lot about uh, you know a support structure comes into play and uh, i'm very 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 thankful to all of them that they have been there or they are still there yeah i completely agree with you on that it's, it is about who you have around you during tough times or big decisions and you know thankful to your wife for being there for the kids because as you said you probably would not have been able to do it if you had to look after them on your own and also having uh, some good co-founders around you which makes me think how essential would you say it is to have that second or third head in the business alongside you I don't have much of experience with uh, kind of. <laughs> I've not been uh, establishing, you know, not like a serial entrepreneur or something like that. But I would say, for, for me personally, I would not have started a company on my own had I not known that if I would have somebody else to take care of certain other parts. Because when we talk about starting something new, you know, uh, it's I feel it's like you know your hand. You know, there are five different fingers and. Each one of them is important because they they do something which is which the other fingers cannot. And without having a second or a third head to give in a different perspective, to think, uh, to say, hey, this can be done differently, or even to take care of, of you know, when, when you when you have a company, uh, things that we have had never thought about. This was at Cute, we had the luxury of of a marketing team. You know, we were attending uh, earlier this year Embedded World, which is one of the biggest embedded trade shows in 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 the world. And uh, I had to basically take care of the whole uh, organization thing, starting from contacting with the organizers on what how our stand should look like and everything. Back with my previous employer, this was taken for granted. We didn't have to do. We just have to think about what we should project or what sort of the uh, what how we should uh, what sort of demos we should bring. What should be the story, messaging story? Those were the high-level things that we used to think about, not uh, the organization part. So as, uh, as running a company, there are a lot of things. It's like an iceberg. There are a lot of things below the water <laughs> that needs to be taken care of. And I feel that with us, you know, we, ha- we have three people and, and a lot of this under the water is basically distributed among the three of us. 
if it was just one person, just me, then I don't think I would have been able to do it. I, I would have failed miserably. Yeah, it's a very challenging path to go down if you're doing it entirely on your own. Like um, I myself and business partners with my brother and uh, I've got friends that have their own businesses, but they're on their own. And they said, I would love to have just a business partner, you know, when you're struggling on an idea and you just don't know what to do, but you can voice it to someone else who may come from it from, you know, taking the emotion out of the equation and can actually answer the the question logically because you're quite invested into it. So I do think it's it's very crucial. And I feel like uh, even if you are a solopreneur, hiring someone quickly to be your right hand person uh, is also the next alternative it's someone that's really loyal and you know, look after them and so on and then yeah we don't achieve anything on our own really when we think about how we grow as a company you know we hire people we have our accountants and stuff like this everybody needs someone to grow their business anyway so yeah completely agree with you on that it'd be very hard to do it all on your own yeah, and that's also, I think, uh, that's where the thing that you mentioned as solopreneurs, yeah, it's probably it's possible, but you want to bring in people who you trust. So I think that's the trust part, the relationship part is really, really important. That kind of ties all of us. Of course, the vision itself, but uh, on, on a daily basis, you know, the vision is, is something which is there at the back of your mind. But to have a working relationship, you need to have this sort of a trust, this sort of a, something that 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 you know the other person will take care of or <laughs> you don't need to think about it. So that's a luxury. And, and I think that's really important in order to keep one's focus on things otherwise. What's been the hardest part of your journey in this startup so far? The typical thing with, with early startups, I don't think we have, we have a lack of idea. What we typically struggle with is how can we do things better somehow? And we are either tied, we end up basically being tied to time, resource, and priority. So we know that that we need to do, let's say, we need to finish a job X. And now that job X is important. Now we have to figure out whether there's time for job X, whether we have the resources, so is somebody available to do it? And the third thing, should it be prioritized? And trying to fit that has been one of the biggest challenges. It might seem easy, but uh, I feel when one is running their own company, when one knows what, what how much money there is in the bank account and how much is possible to do, you start really sometimes rethinking, okay, can, it, can things be done differently? And it's difficult to manage all of that. I think I'm still learning um, how to do it. And probably some, sometimes I've done well and sometimes I've not. <laughs> and sometimes, uh, you know, I got, we got burned, for example. One of the advantages that we have here in Germany is that we get access to a number of federal grants. You know, applying for those federal grants takes time. And the question is, should I focus my time in getting the grant or should I focus my time on getting customers because I don't have, I can't do both. Uh, there's yeah. not enough time for it. And there was this one time where I, I, because I was focusing on the customer, I got delayed in submitting for a grant and that got over and we did not get the grant. And because we did not get the grant, it means that it hits our operating cash. <laughs> so they are like, you know, it's like always you have to find, do five different things in the same day at the same time and trying to rationalize it on, on which one can we do at what point of time and what we can let go and say it's, it's fine not to do this. It's fine not to do this. And that's been difficult. 
And this, I would also have to say, goes back to uh, the CEO of, of Qt. You know, early on, we were having this uh, strategy discussion when when Digital was making Qt as a standalone company. And and uh, what I learned from him is that <laughs> to run the business, it's it's important to say no. Saying no is more important than saying yes because if you say yes, you can do everything. But of course, you can't do everything. So so you have to spend considerable time saying no even if you lose or lose out on things and, and to accept it saying that, Hey, this is great, but this is not for us. And having the right mindset and, and courage and, and to do saying that it is fine, not for us is, uh, is something that, that, uh, that one learns more when, when one is running their own business. Yeah, that's so true. So what are the plans now for 60 FPS then? So we have commercial customers already. So we are looking forward to our first commercial customer. Actually, they started using the product back in 2021, even before I joined the company. And uh, they are going to production, uh, uh, producing the first devices that are coming out with uh, our software. So we are very, very excited to showcase that. And our next step is basically to raise money from investors for the next round, so basically for the next cycle of things. So we have had three years uh, already where we created the product. We have amount of traction we have commercial customers we have revenue coming in and for the next to grow the company to the next level we need more money and and i think the success stories that we have for the first first cycle i think we should build up and, and for the second cycle so so a lot of things are going on so exciting times we are working on a new website we are working on a new licensing model we are working on uh, on showcasing uh, the customers that you know the customer they're going to crush and so showcasing all of those success stories and talking to investors to <laughs> to get money just the just the stuff that a normal yeah. <laughs> entrepreneur and startup end up doing. i hear from talking to other guests that the you know getting the funding is one of the hardest most stressful parts is that would this be your series a or c round or so we had already our pre-seed round so i would say we're still in the seed thing i think uh, we have had discussions with various investors and uh, i feel that having spoken with them i feel the series a is uh, you know what institutional investors are still looking at this series a is when they can you know the product kind of rules on itself so there's still the, the amount of risk in product creation is it's fairly low still on series A. I mean, scaling up is not possible, but of course the product could roll on itself. And I think we are still a year away from that. So mm-hmm. most likely we go for a series A uh, sometime next year, but now we would do some sort of seed. We did pre-seed, so we would do some sort of seed because we still need to. Yeah. So we are almost there 90%, but we still need to fin- finish the rest 10%, which typically there's a spiral to rule, right? 80, 20. It's usually the last bits that take almost the same time as the rest of the stuff. So I still have some, some time to... One step at a time and you, you're doing the right thing at your pace. So what I want to know is you've had a great career at Nokia and at QT. You spent a lot of time at both companies. Uh, it's about 16 years at the, at the two of them, maybe more. You could have gone on to have a long career at these companies and be well looked after right up into your retirement and maybe you would have joined another company, I don't know. So what's your real personal motivator to do what you do and the risks that you've taken? What gets you out of bed in the morning to do this? I think it's the freedom part that I can do things myself and um, there's nobody, I make decisions myself and part that I'm creating is something that I'm creating so I have no one to to blame or to, you know, I wouldn't say blame, but it's not, it's, so let me put it this way. If I crash into the wall, then it's my fault. If I don't crash into the wall and if I end up going to a nice place, then it's also my fault. It's me. So I think that's, that's kind of 
really motivates me is that kind of also challenging myself, right? Now, I really like your answer because it's exactly the same as mine. When I started my business, it was for freedom. A lot of people think people start a business for money. Obviously, with more money, logically, it seems to have more freedom. But it's not always. You could work for a company, be earning loads of money as a director of a big company, but you still don't have true freedom. So I think having your own business definitely gives you that. And that was that was my motivation. So it's nice to hear that yours is similar. Um, so that's really cool. So last question, Uri. If someone's in a similar position to you and they've done 10, 15 years at a company and they're doing really great, but they've got this idea ticking around in their head to perhaps try start up their own business, but they just can't get this thought out of their head. But of course, this, that you're scared to make that jump. What advice would you give them? I mean, in general, I've seen a lot of people uh, through my career that they really come with, with great ideas. Um, of course, at their workplace, they might be doing something different where those ideas might not come to fruition. And uh, and I think having ideas is, is perfectly fine. To come out of it and to, and this big step that you said that, you know, can I come out and basically make my idea a success? I think apart from the idea itself, I would go back to the support structure. So one needs to understand whether there's a support structure for the person to actually operate. Because um, maybe let's put it this way. The idea can change. You start with an idea. Let's say, okay, I'll give you an example. Maybe, Jordan, you start. You thought, okay, podcasts are interesting. I want to start my own company. What sort of niche do I do? And you think that you assume at the very beginning, okay, this niche seems good. This is where my audience would actually come from. And you started, but after a couple of months, uh, you change your idea because you now know more and you can actually improvise and then slightly alter parts and make it maybe catch another segment of, of the market. Mm-hmm. So per se, from the idea perspective, I would say that people need just need to be confident that they can execute. But what's important is the support structure because you need to be in an environment where irrespective of whether the idea fails, or the idea might fail, yeah, so you want us to be bold to accept that, or you should be able to alter the idea. But uh, I would say that if people who have had 16 years of experience have an idea, uh, and if they are scared to make the jump, I think people are usually scared to make the jump because they think that the idea might fail. And I would like to say that, uh, think of the other way around. Don't think about the idea. Think about, do you have a support structure because if, you f- if the idea fails, you will come up with another idea because uh, ideas are just ideas. I would say it's really unlikely that a person comes up with just one idea and if it fails and that person is, is broken and suddenly the mind stops working and there are no more ideas coming. So that usually doesn't happen. You, if your idea, first idea fails, you will have a second idea, you will have a third idea, and a fourth idea. So one should not be afraid that the idea will fail. One should be more check for the fact that if they have a good support system or if they have a good, a good support system, then they should put their confidence on the support system and say, and I'm confident I have a good support system and I can do things and then do, do it. So, which yeah, might be difficult for solo entrepreneurs, <laughs> but I feel that, uh, that a lot of people uh, think more about the idea than, than everything else. And I would like to say that the idea is just a part of other bigger things. Yeah. And that's a really good answer, actually, to be, be short, be, be confident that you can execute. If you're confident you can execute, then why not go for it? Because you'll live in regret for the rest of your life if you didn't give it a try, at least. Thank you very much for that, Uri. I really appreciate that. I loved uh, hearing all about 60 FPS. Look forward to following you from afar. Hopefully you get that seed round this year and the Series A next year. 
Uh, as I say, I will be following the journey, seeing how you guys are getting on and building the company. And of course, we'll keep in touch. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jordan, again. It was lovely speaking with you. And uh, yeah, I really look forward to hearing your podcast. And likewise, I now follow you also on LinkedIn. So great to have in touch. I mean, one of the things that my friend said, maybe just as a parting thing, is that for entrepreneurs, one should uh, listen to stories because it doesn't matter whether it's a story from a complete uh, entrepreneur in a completely different field, because the problems that we are trying to solve or problems that people face on a general level, on a high level level, are very similar. And listening to others on how they have solved or what, what sort of influence they had and uh, inspiration that they had that probably can solve one of your problems that you're facing. So really interested to hear what the other people that you're interviewing have to say on their inspiration on their journey. That is so true. Yeah. I myself have been so inspired just by doing the podcast. Everybody I've spoken to, I've learned a little bit of something new, especially when I go listen to them back and really take in multiple times. So you're absolutely right with that statement. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Yuri. Take care. Cheers, John. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.